City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. So I don't know about you, but Christmas never quite goes as planned does it? Something inevitably, whether big or small, will always go just a little bit wrong. I was talking to a friend last night, and she was talking about all the ways that sort of sickness had gone through their family, and all of a sudden, Christmas was not a lot of fun because it was just a lot of people being sick on the same day. That's that's happened to me before. Well, what about this? Uh, have you ever made a mistake? This is especially for you parents, and maybe got one of your kids um, a lot of gifts and another one of your kids, no gifts at all. Um, I'm not saying that happened to me, but I'm saying I know somebody who that happened to. Um, there, there is just so much that can go wrong at Christmas, and it seems that never, it never goes just exactly to plan. Life, uh, in the words of uh, Jeff Goldblum, finds a way. Problems happen, and it rarely goes to plan. And it's not just Christmas, is it? If you sort of look at your life, many of us would not have anticipated five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, that this is what our life would look like. Things get interrupted. Over this season of Advent, we've been looking at the women who are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. And as we've gone through this, we've seen several women whose lives did not go as they planned. And this morning, I think we come to maybe the most dramatic incident of that, which is Jesus' mother, Mary. Her life was severely interrupted uh, when God sent Gabriel to her one day. When God sent Gabriel to her and said, you are going to have a son and he is going to be the son of God. This would have been a more than mild interruption to the way that Mary thought her life was going to go. Let's just think for a second about what, what Mary's life was probably planning on being. She was, she was probably in her teens, uh, because that was the age that most women were married uh, at the time that Jesus was born. And she was engaged to a man named Joseph, by all accounts, seemed to be a really good guy. And so here she is thinking that she is going to, to marry Joseph and they're going to live in Galilee and everything is going to go just kind of normal. She's going to take care of the house. He's going to do the carpenter things. They're going to have kids and life will be just normal. And then an angel shows up and says, not exactly. Plans are changing. It says, you're going to conceive and have a virgin-born son. If the interruption of Gabriel showing up in her life was not enough, being told that she was going to give birth as a virgin was probably a significant disruption of her life. Uh, Not only that, but think about trying to explain that to anyone else. That's that's one of the all-time difficult ones to explain to others, I imagine. You know, Mary, I noticed that you are showing that you're pregnant. What happened? Well, it's God. <laughs> God gave me a baby, and I'm going to have a baby, even though I'm a virgin. You can imagine the skepticism that surrounded her life. So, 
the question is, when these disruptions hit us, whether they're small, like we didn't have enough meat on Christmas Day, or, or we got gifts for one kid and not the other, or whatever it is, or whether they're big, like Mary's life, how do you respond? When your life takes a turn that you don't expect, what do you do? As you think back, even across this year, as we kind of come to the close of the year, some of you have have dealt with tragedy. Your life has been disrupted by pain and sickness. How do you respond to that? What about disappointment? That promotion, getting accepted into that program, getting that thing that you wanted, getting your kids into the school that you How do you respond when you're disappointed? These are questions that the story of Mary should bring to our mind. And what I'd like to do is read how she responded. So I'm going to be reading um, from Luke. I'm going to be reading from Luke 1, and I've selected a passage uh, from there. So I'd ask that you would stand together, and I will read as we look at God's Word together. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We go down a few verses. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. When God changes our plans, 
When God frustrates what we think our life is supposed to look like, most of the time, our gut reaction is anger, pride, and hostility. Sometimes one of those, sometimes a mix of all three. You think back on the times that that life has not gone the way that you want, and what you'll probably find as you look at those times is anger, is frustration, it's hostility. But what we see in Mary in this passage is pretty much the exact opposite of all of those things. Mary had, I would argue, one of the greatest disruptions in the history of humanity. One of the greatest disruptions of her life. And Mary did not respond with anger, with frustration, with hostility. She did something else. She responded first by trusting in God and praising Him. Did you catch that? She didn't do this unquestioningly. She didn't say, alright, cool. No, when, when, when the angel said, you're going to conceive a son, and she said, um... Angel, I know that you're not a human, but um, I'm a virgin, and that's not how any of this works. And the angel said, no, no, uh, God is going to bring the son to life in your womb. And did, a, did, did Mary say, oh, okay, yeah, she did. She said, okay, let, let what you have said come true. I, I'm, as, they, as people would say today, I'm here for it. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm, I'm okay with this happening. She trusts in this, and then she begins to sing a song of praise. See, God is going to interrupt our life, because by His very nature, God is disruptive. Have you ever thought about that? By His very nature... God is disruptive to our lives as humans. Now, sometimes we like this. When God disrupts our life with something that's good, we call it a blessing, and we're very in favor of that, right? When, when, when something happens that we cannot attribute to anyone but God, we say, okay, right, yeah, yes, uh, thank you, Jesus. This is a good thing. I'm glad for it. But what about when something hard happens. How ready are we for that? How happy are we about that? I think that, like, if you're anything like me, my gut reaction is anger. This is, this is not how things were supposed to go. This is, this is not how I had planned it out. My, you know, I had a game plan. I had a game plan for how this was going to go. God, you're wrecking that game plan, and I don't like it. And here's how my heart's going to respond. I'm going to respond in anger. Why? Because I think that if I could just control every situation, I, I, I could make things happen the way God wants them to. I could do it. I could do it all on my own. I don't need God to be here for it. I can just do it by myself. What I'm saying in those moments is, I'm really angry because I'm not God. When you get angry when God disrupts your life, oftentimes what that's rooted in is a desire for you to be God. 
Because you think you know better than him. You think you know better than what he has brought into your life. And if you're anything like me, when that is exposed, you're filled with shame. You're filled with shame and we want to hide. We want to hide from others. We want to hide from God. I, I think of the, the story in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were, were created and they were naked. And what happens immediately when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They feel shame and they run and they make themselves some clothes out of fig leaves. Why? Because when we're exposed... In their case, very physically, but in our case, sort of emotionally and mentally, by our shame, what we do is we run and try to cover it. We cover it with anger. We cover it by retreating, by hiding. We cover it in so many ways. But this is not the story of Mary. The story of Mary is that she submits. She says, yes, let it be. You know, someone, someone could write a really, probably good song about Mary that quoted that sort of thing. If anybody can come up with a good, maybe piano tune that Mother Mary said, you know, some words of wisdom, and those words of wisdom were, let it be, um, I think that could be a commercial hit. Um, but, but that's what she says, and more than that, she's rejoicing. Her life is absolutely derailed from where she thought it was going. Her life is absolutely turned, and she rejoices. And let's be honest. When you think about the, when I think about difficulties, struggles, hardships in my life, my gut reaction is not praise and being humble before God. My gut reaction is much different. My gut reaction is not to trust. Because if I trust God in the midst of a hard time, by default, what I have to say is that I am not God. That I am not the one ultimately in control of my life. You know, another word for for being willing to let God be God and us to be people is humility. And Mary responds with praise, but she also responds with humility. She begins to quote in her song, the Psalms. This idea that God opposes the proud. That he stands against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the things as we read the Bible that we see, that the the Bible talks about that God hates, is pride. Why? Why is God so passionately against pride? Because ultimately, pride is us saying that we are God. That I'm the one in control of my life. That I know what's best. That if I, did, that, that if I wrote this story, I would write it differently, and my way is better. I'm sure that if Mary thought about the ways that she was going to have to tell Joseph, by the way, 
I'm pregnant. It's not yours, but be cool. It's not another man's either. It's God's. As she thought about that, she would not have written her story to go in that direction. Because that's not the kind of conversation you want to have. And for most of us, whether quietly or loudly, we are stuck in pride. One of the ways that we are stuck in pride is by our sense of self-righteousness. See, here's the way I think my life should go. I think that if I do enough moral things, if I do the right thing enough, God should give me a blank check to do whatever I want in my life. If I, if I just do check off the moral boxes, I, I didn't drink too much on New Year's Eve, I'm, I'm raising my kids to the best of my ability to be Christian kids, I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the blanks with all of the God things that I should do, you know, God should just let me do whatever else I want and should leave me alone. If he does step into my life, maybe it's to be, you know, blessing. Maybe he's going to drop $500 bills, you know, out of the sky for me. And I, I'm okay with that. But by and large, I think that because I've done enough right actions, God should not disrupt my life in any way. That is, at its core, self-righteousness and pride. That is me saying, I know what's best. That is me saying, I have the right to dictate what God should do. Now, very few of us would say that out loud. But how many of us say that with the way that we act? More of us than I think care to admit it. See, we think we're smarter than God. But not only that, our pride takes another form. It's interesting that the best way to tell what exactly you believe is by the way that you account for joy and pain. Let me say that again, because I think this is, this is a helpful point for us. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you claim to be a part of one religion or another, wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of belief, what really tells you what your functional God is, what your actual God is, is how do you tell the story? How do you make sense of pain and joy? For some of us, we try to make sense of pain and joy in a sort of scientific way. Well, no, the reason that I didn't get the promotion was because there was this other person and that person was better than me and therefore I didn't get the promotion because of that. We tell the stories and say, no, the reason that I, that I didn't the reason that I'm struggling with this is because of free radicals, you know, or because of, because I used, I used Johnson's baby powder and apparently that's bad for you. So, so the internet tells me or whatever, you know, we sort of account for everything in our life and go, ah, yes, there's an explanation for that. Science has the answer. Look, look, science is helpful. Science is good. But when science is our ultimate way of explaining joy and pain, our functional religion is science. Or maybe that's not the case. Maybe the way that you explain joy and pain is just that it's all random. That just things happen and I'm here for it. And I'm just around for the ride and, and uh, you know, joy and pain are meaningless because everything is meaningless. 
probably more often than not, especially here in St. Petersburg, what our functional belief system is, is, is functional karma, right? The reason why this bad thing is happening to me is because I did this bad thing. And the reason why good things are happening to me is because I'm a good person and I deserve the good things that happen to me. I'm, I'm going to put that sort of energy, right? You've heard this. You've, if you've been around St. Pete, you have heard, I'm going to put this energy out into the universe and it's going to come back to me, right? There are people who have no belief in God whatsoever who would say, yeah, but I'm going to put the good energy out and the good energy is going to come back to me and I'm going to reap what I sow So I'm going to be a nice person and nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Functionally, that karmic system is actually your religion. By the way, Christian, you do that more often than not. Most Christians live their lives according to the laws of karma, not the laws of Jesus and grace. City Church, your pastor, left to himself, lives his life and believes according to karma... Not according to Jesus. Why? Because whenever something goes wrong, here's what I say. Jesus, I'm out here trying. Jesus, look look at all the good things I've done. This past month, as we have prepared for this move, right? Anytime something goes wrong, a shipment gets delayed. Anytime, like, something is not what I think it was going to be. A bill comes in too high. My gut reaction, more often than I care to admit, is to go, Jesus, I am totally trying to plant a church here and I want everything to go smooth and I'm trying to do the right thing and I'm being, I'm being the good moral Christian. Why aren't you giving me everything just the way I want it to? Church, that is not Christianity. And yet that is how we end up living our lives. Because Christianity is not karma. It is not you do good things and the the big cosmic Coke machine in the sky gives you the things that you want. No, because the truth of the matter is you don't deserve anything. Anything you get is a blessing. But but to say that, to, to say the words, I don't deserve anything... Is a, is a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? It requires me to be humble, and it requires me to be honest about the way that I live, about the way that I treat others, about the way that my heart operates when no one else can see it. But not only when God interrupts our life do we respond with pride and anger, but sometimes it makes us hostile towards others. How many times has God pushed you into another path and you taken it out on the people that you love most? How many times has God interrupted what you thought was going to be your life and the way that you respond is by by spreading that unkindness to somebody else. You see, that's it's kind of hardwired into us. Right? It's, it's what we often call, this is about that. It's the, the husband who's 
whose job is going awful, whose boss is terrible. He knows he can't vent that frustration at his boss, and so he gets home and he kicks his dog. Right? Why? Because I need to vent this anger, and there it is. It's hostility. It's built up in us because God is not doing what we think He should be doing. But the story of Mary, and especially Mary's song, teaches us a different rhythm. Teaches us a different way of life. Because instead of Mary saying, God, you're interrupting my life and I'm frustrated by this. Mary's song is is filled with allusions to the, the Old Testament idea of God's covenant faithfulness. That His love for us is not dependent on our performance. That it's grace and mercy that follow us all the days of our life. That it's not karma, but rather Jesus loves you because He loves you, not because of what you can give to Him. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're a special snowflake. No, Jesus loves you because He loves you. Because He has decided to set His love on you. This is God's God's covenant faithfulness. And in Mary's prayer, she again and again calls it mercy. And Mary doesn't just experience mercy, but she begins to show it to others. As we read through this, as we listen to this story of Mary having one of the greatest divine, divine interruptions in history, we should be struck by her, her humility. And and really, in so many ways, the ways that we are not. But it should also remind us of Jesus. Philippians 2 is one of the most beautiful passages about about Jesus coming into this world. And what it says is that, that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be held onto, but rather made himself a servant. And even to the point of being born as a human. And he humbled himself even to the point of death, even more so death on a cross. You see, in so many ways, Jesus became humble so that he might break our pride. Jesus became humble so that he might disrupt the pattern of anger and hostility at God's divine interruptions of our lives. And the birth of Jesus from his mother Mary was the first step on the way to the cross. Jesus left the splendors of heaven. Jesus left all the glories of heaven and was born in a stable. Whatever kind of stable it was, it wasn't nice. It wasn't being born at, at Johns Hopkins. It wasn't being born at St. Anthony's. It wasn't even being born at a not-so-great hospital. It was being born in the worst of conditions and being subject to all that we are in this human life. Jesus left heaven and got sick and dealt with tragedy and dealt with loss and rejection just like we do, yet without sin. And He did this 
so that He might give us His righteousness, so that He might break and shatter our humility. And so as we look at the story of Mary, for most of us, we need to look into our own hearts and repent of our pride. Whether that is self-righteousness, whether that is treating ourselves as God, whether that is making something else besides God our functional religion, we should repent and then begin to see Jesus as praiseworthy. Because He hears our repentance. Because He hears our cries for forgiveness. He hears our need for Him and lovingly forgives us. And as we experience that, whether we're a Christian experiencing that anew this week, or whether we're not a Christian and we're experiencing that for the first time, whatever place we're in, that type of unmerited love, that type of love that is not dependent on your behavior, is the kind of love that changes you. And one of the ways that it changes you is you become compassionate and merciful towards others. When someone doesn't believe exactly the right thing, your response is not to hammer them with the truth. You have compassion. When someone doesn't act the way that you think they act, your response is not anger, but is mercy and love. Because guess what? You don't believe all the right things, and you don't do all the right things, and guess how God responds to you? Love. Mercy covenant faithfulness. And so the promise to us this morning is just like Mary said, that God has seen us, that God has heard our prayers, and that God remembers us. May we be changed by that this morning. Let's pray.